Well, can you thank the band and the choir for leading us in a time of worship? I know they put in a lot of work and a lot of thought and, and uh, preparation to be able to hold a service like this, and uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. If you can, track down a Bible. We'll put the verses up on the screen as well. If you're not familiar with our church, each week we open the Word together, and we, we look at passages together, and we try to discern what God is saying to us. And so on this Easter morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. Uh, the Bible actually commands that pastors read Scripture, and so I'm going to do that. We'll read the passage, then we'll pray, and we'll get to work. This is Luke 24, starting in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, they had a discussion about the resurrection of the Lord. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still, not, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking right now that as we open your word that we would hear your voice. Please speak to us, Lord, and help us to consider the significance of the resurrection and what it might mean for our lives. Lord, I pray for the work that I anticipate you want to do today. You want people to know your son in a saving way. Would you please open their minds so that they might understand scriptures and see the beauty of our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus has been arrested and crucified on Friday. This is Sunday, so in the morning, people went to the graveside to visit the body and make further preparations, and they found the tomb to be empty. And then the Lord begins to appear to people. In fact, just in the section previous to the one we looked at, he appears on a road with a couple of the disciples traveling to Emmaus. They don't recognize him for whatever reason, but they're walking with him and they're talking with him and he's explaining from the scriptures all these things. And then he breaks bread with them and he opens their eyes and they recognize this is the Lord. He's alive. And then he disappears from them. So they hurry to gather up with the rest of the individuals, and they begin to have a conversation about that. You, you, you have no idea what I just experienced. We were walking, and the Lord was there. He is alive. And this, then, is the 
evening experience of that, that very first resurrection day. And what we find then are four different aspects of the Lord's resurrection ministry. Four different aspects of the resurrection ministry that he did then and he's doing again today. Here they are. It's gentle, it's physical, it's scriptural, and it's missional. Try to do that sing-songy thing so you can remember it. And every word you're probably like, those are weird words, but we'll explain them along the way. First is gentle. When he deals with people, he's addressing the concerns of their hearts. The disciples are bewildered, they're, they're devastated, they're, they've just been through a very traumatic experience, and, and they're, they're frightened. And so he begins to speak into that reality. He begins to speak over them. Now consider with me how, how devastating this would have been for them. These are individuals who made a commitment to follow somebody, and they left, they left their previous way of life behind. So some of them left family businesses, some of them left successful careers, some of them left family and friends to follow this individual. They made a commitment. I'm with him now. I'm following him. I'm surrendering my life to him. I'm, I'm going to go where he goes. And they spent three years with him. They had all kinds of expectations for, for what was going to unfold. And then he gets arrested, he gets tried, and he gets hung. And now all of a sudden they've lost not only a friend, but a leader. They, they had all these expectations for him, and all of a sudden, the world feels like it's just falling down around them, and they're sad, and this is Sunday, and now all of a sudden, he steps into that, and he steps in with a word of comfort. Verse 36, he stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. It's a greeting that was common in that day. They would, it, when they would interact with each other, they would say things like that, peace be with you. It was a, just a common expression. Like, we, we say things like, take care or what's up, and that one makes me feel old anymore. Um, I'll say it, and the, this really bugs me. It's one of my pet peeves. But young people now, I'll say, hey, what's up? And they'll say, the sky. And I'll realize, oh, I'm still using a, a, a term from the 90s, and these kids don't even get it. So um, we, we've got all these different expressions to, to greet one another, but there, in their culture, they would say, peace be with you. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing. They'd be looking at one another, greeting each other, and, and and asking that the peace of God would reside in their lives. And the Lord steps in, and he's not, this is not a mere formality. It's not just an ordinary greeting. It's a declaration. Peace be with you. They're, they're terrified. They're scared. But there he is, and he's able to say, it's going to be okay. Peace be with you. And the disciples, they came to recognize that this peace that Jesus was offering them, it was it, it, it was something that was available to them regardless of circumstances. In fact, in the New Testament, many of these individuals who are here in this room, they, they were martyred for their faith. They went through incredibly hard trials. They went through all kinds of difficulty, but they recognized that they had a peace that transcends understanding. They had a peace that, that allowed them to navigate the hardest of scenarios, but to feel this gospel confidence that God loves me and I'm going to be okay. They, they recognized this was not a circumstantial peace. They realized where it came from. In fact, they, they said specifically, it's him. The reason why we have peace is him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, they say, he, Jesus, he himself, he is our peace. If you want peace today, I can help you. I can't suggest that your circumstances are going to change or everything's going to get all better, but I, but I know someone who is able to offer you peace. 
And you might be going through life and you're like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what my next play is. Everything's falling down around me. The plan that I had is not coming true. But Jesus can appear and he can say, I have some peace for you. He goes on to comfort them because they think that he's a ghost. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. I mean, the the dude was dead and they saw that. So now he's standing in front of them and they're going, this is blowing my mind. Like, this is a ghost. I don't know what's happening here, but this is supernatural. And then verses 38 and 39, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. He's he's speaking to them in a way to help them deal with what they're experiencing. He's offering himself to them. He's saying, look at me. It's me. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a phantom. I'm not a hallucination. I'm not a spiritual thing just floating around. It's me. Look, touch, observe. It is I. My uh, son, Harrison, was recently sick my six-year-old boy, and he was crying, and, you know, he doesn't like being sick. Who likes being sick? But he was crying and uh, really upset, and, and I tried to comfort him, and I, I just looked at him, and I said, hey, bud, it's going to be okay. You're not always going to be sick, and I'm trying to give him words to help him navigate the, the moment, because he's crying, and he's sad. I said, bud, your, your mom is a nurse, and she's going to take awesome care of you. And I imagine that's kind of what the Lord is doing in this moment. He's looking at his disciples who, who, who have just been through the most traumatic of events, and he's saying, hey, guys, it's going to be okay. I know you can't even imagine right now how this is going to play out, but, but you're going to be okay. I've got you. So he speaks these gentle words over them. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still not, did not believe because of joy and amazement, They still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. This is just too much. It's too much to take in. But he's patient with them. He's not rolling his eyes like, come on, come on, guys. I've been telling you this all along. No, no, no. He's gentle with them. So he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, I know you're fearful. I know you're concerned. I know you're terrified. I know you don't even know what's coming next. But here I am. I'm with you and peace is available, and, and, and I've got you. Look at me. I'm, I'm real. So the Lord is able to take us and, and deal with us where we're at. And the truth is, some of us right now are in a season of life where it does feel like everything is falling apart, where you don't know what your next play is. You, you, you're, you're, you're wrecked by the thought that you had a plan and it didn't go according to plan. And now you're just trying to figure out what is, what is my next play here? And the Lord wants to speak over you, I've got you. It it might not all come together the way that you anticipate. It might not all work out the way that you hope. But the Lord is able to give you a peace. And I hope that you would gladly receive it. So he's gentle with us. But secondly, part of the resurrection ministry of the Lord is it's physical. It's a physical thing. And we already saw that because he had his hands and his feet, and he's saying, look at these hands. These are my hands. These are the pierced hands. Give me some fish. I'll eat it in your presence. I'm gonna, there's a physicality to the resurrection, and, and a part of that is, I'm, there's a lot of different reasons for it, but a part of it is to verify whether or not the claims that he made were true. If, if after church today, somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, I know how to get you into heaven. You go, okay, I'm interested. Uh, and they say, 
Well, when you die, here's what you need to do. Claim me. And you'd go, okay, either this person knows something that I don't know, or they're a lunatic, right? There's really only two options here. And that's essentially what the Lord was saying. I know how to get you into heaven. If you claim me, he would say, you can get into heaven. You'll die, but you won't, you won't remain dead. I can get you into heaven. And so, you know, one of the obvious questions would be, can I trust this person? And he, in a sense, says, I'll go first. I'll go first. So he's crucified, then he's resurrected, and he comes back, and it's like he's saying, this is a very marginal reading, it's like he's saying, told you so, right? He shows up, and he's like, look, guys, it's me. It, it works. You can trust me. So there's a part of the physical, bodily resurrection of the Lord that says, it is possible. It is possible. There is one, Jesus Christ, who was hung on a cross. He literally died. He literally rose again. He has a physical, resurrected body. So we can have confidence then that if we trust in him and what he claimed to be the way of salvation, we can experience what he experienced. He can bring us back from the dead. Now, Christianity stands or falls on this truth. The resurrection, whether or not it really happened, it, it is a, a breaking point for the religion. It, it is unique in the sense that no other religions have anything like this, but Christianity, it stands or falls on it. So we have to, we have to look into it. Did it really happen? And Jesus invites us to do that. Did the resurrection really happen? Was Jesus a real individual? Was he really crucified? Did he really come back to the grave, from the grave? And 1 Corinthians 15 says, if it didn't happen, this, Christianity, it's foolish. Like, it's a waste of time. But if it did happen, game on. So, part of the resurrection ministry is it's physical because he wants to verify what he has done for us. But there's another part of it that's also very beautiful. It's physical in this way. It means that our future is actually going to be pretty cool. We're not going to be flying around, sitting on a, on a cloud, playing a harp as like these spiritual beings. That's not what the future holds for us. Um, if that were the case, I wouldn't be too, too interested. I was in a band with some of my buddies in high school, and um, I was the drummer. I was not, very, I was not good. Uh, we were not good. They ended up getting good and continuing to play. But in one of the rehearsals that we had, I just got bored. And we were really not doing well, so I just left. I just said, okay, guys, uh, when we get this all together, I'll be back, but I've got some other stuff to do. And I just left and kind of left the band in that, in that way. Uh, so, so if you tell me, all you're going to do, core, is you're going to float around and play an instrument, it's probably not for me. But, but what if the future is much better than that? What if the things that we love the things that we appreciate about the physical experiences that we have in the here and now. What if there's more to come? What if it really is a beautiful future for us? What if we actually will eat and drink with the Lord? There's so much in the Bible that talks about heaven being like a wedding banquet, and we're going to eat with him. And I don't think it's all figurative language. I think there's a part of that that is actually true. We're going we're to be able to eat I turned 40 this week, and my wife said to me, hey, Cor, th this day is yours. What do you want to do? And I had a ton of work over here to do, but so, so I began to craft out what my day would look like. 
and I literally planned my day based off of what I would eat and drink. <laughs> First I'll have pancakes, then I'll have Chick-fil-A for lunch, then I'll have my Starbucks uh, birthday drink, and then I'll have pizza, and then I'll have cake. And anyways, you know, you, we love food. There's a reason why God made it a multi-sensory experience. It's worship. It's intended to be worship. Now it can obviously be abused, but it is meant to be something that we enjoy because God made it. He didn't have to make it that awesome. He didn't have to give us all the taste buds, but he did. And we're meant to sit around with each other and experience that with great joy. So part of the resurrection ministry is it is physical, and that's a good, that's a good thing. That's good news. It's also scriptural. Part of the ministry is scriptural, meaning it, it aligns with what God has always been saying in his Bible, in the scriptures. This has been God's plan all along. Look at verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. He's saying the Bible has consistently told this story. This is what the Bible is about. This is what had to happen. The Messiah would suffer and die and rise, and he would offer forgiveness of sin. So he's telling us this is God's plan. He always knew. This would be the need that we would have as fallen humanity. We would need a Savior. So throughout human history, he has been working out the plan. And it comes to its fullness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But the whole Bible is about that. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He opened their minds so that they saw that this book is all about him. The Bible is all about them. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. The Bible has a gospel shape to it. It's the story of the good news of God sending his one and only son to die in our place. And we need that truth. We need the Bible to tell us that truth. If if you stick around here for any amount of time, you'll begin to realize we really do believe that this is the voice of God. This is the word of God. And he speaks to us through it. And we believe the whole thing is all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Both the New Testament and the Old point us to our Savior. And so he's telling them, this is what the plan has been all along. The Bible has told us so. And this is the very heart of the message of God that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and forgiveness will be offered. The forgiveness of sins will be preached. And here's, here's what that means. What Jesus is up to today is he is communicating the offer of forgiveness. He is, he is inviting us to turn to him with faith, to entrust ourselves to him and to receive from him pardon, the forgiveness of sins. He's asking us to repent. That's a word that means to turn from sin and turn toward God. And he's saying, that's what the whole Bible is about. That's what Jesus is about. That's what he has come to do. And so today, that invitation is being made again. God is saying, will you entrust yourself to the saving work of Christ so that when you stand before the judgment seat of God, you you have one reason for being admitted into heaven. What are you going to say when you stand before God and he goes, why should I let you in here? I'll give you my answer and you can borrow it because it's from the Bible. I'm not going to say, well, I tried to be a good person. I tried to be a good husband. I tried to love my kids well. I, I just tried to be a, a good citizen, really. And, and I think I did an okayish job at that. Does that. 
Does that get me in? I'm a pastor. What about all the stuff that I've done in the name of Christianity? Will that get me in? And the truth is, the Bible repeatedly says, no, that is insufficient. But if I say, here's the one reason, the one shot that I have of getting into heaven, it's I'm claiming Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't know why he loves me as much as he does, but he has expressed that love to me. He died in my place. He took the punishment that I deserve, and he gifted me the righteousness that he earned. He's the reason why I would ever be admitted into heaven. And that's the one thing that we can say, and the Bible makes that very plain. That is the only boast that we will have for for all of eternity. Jesus Christ crucified and risen for us. If you want to know how to be a Christian, that is it. Trusting in the Lord for your salvation. So he does that for them. He communicates that message to them, that scriptural message to them, and they took it to heart. They believed that to be true. They entrusted themselves to him, and they, they came to, to the conclusion, it is him and him alone. In fact, in, in Acts 4, later on, they declare it like this. They make it very plain. This is Acts 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other way. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. They, they came to that conclusion. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, is the way of salvation. You either trust in that or you do not have saving faith. This is the way to become a Christian. So my question for each of us, for, for you, do you trust him? Do you believe him? Can you confidently claim him as your way of salvation? Finally, the the last aspect of his ministry is that it's missional, meaning God has a mission. He's at work in this world. He has a, a message that he wants to go forward, and he invites people to participate in that work. He says to the to the disciples, You will join me in declaring this news. Look at verses 46 and following. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and, re- and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. So there's a message, and it's going to go forward. There are people who have not heard the message before. That's why we have missionaries. There are people who are going to bring the name of Christ to the nations. And he, then he says, and it's going to start at home, but then he says, and you get to be a part of it you will be my witnesses. You will be involved in this mission. You will be co-laborers in the advancement of the good news of the gospel. So the mission of God is the saving of many people, and he is inviting us to be a part of it. And some of us, uh, maybe he's calling to the mission field, but all of us he's inviting to be a part of this incredible mission. Uh, There's a thing going on right now that sociologists have called the great resignation. Meaning we've been through a global pandemic and social upheaval and all these different things and and a lot of people are just kind of reevaluating, and they're going, do I really want to give my life to what I'm giving my life to right now? Is this where I want to work? Is this even the industry I want to be in? And a lot of people are making shifts and moves vocationally. And the question then that's behind all of that is, what am I doing with my life because I want my life to count for something? I want to invest my life in something significant. And I've got great news for you here today. God is inviting you to invest your life in the greatest calling ever. You can be a part 
of advancing the mission of God in this world. You can be co-laborers with God, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. You can do that. And in fact, that's what we're about as a church. We call ourselves a missional church because we believe that ordinary Christians are called to live life on mission. Now, some of us will move uh, in order to do this in the way that God calls us to, but all of us will do this in some fashion. Some of us will do it in our, in our regular jobs. I'll give you a few examples of this. We've got a guy who has worked for UPS for a number of years and recently retired. And at his retirement party, at, at the office, everyone came around and they affirmed in him the influence that he had in that place because of his witness. He's a Christian. And they were able to publicly declare the influence that he had. We've got nurses in here and doctors that work in the hospitals and clinics in this area. And we commission them with the authority of Jesus Christ to go into their places of work as representatives of Christ himself. They go in there. They're going to offer incredible care to their patients. They're going to be great co-workers. They're going to do these things in the name of Christ himself. We've got educators. We've got uh, administrators of schools. We've got people who teach in public schools and private schools and Christian schools, and all of them, we're, we're asking them to consider doing life on mission. Go, go to your campus and do that well for the sake of Christ. So it looks kind of ordinary, but it truly is extraordinary. So I'm telling you today, not only can you become a Christian today, but you can give your life to the most significant thing ever. And you might go, I'm not qualified for that. How on earth would I ever do that? Well, that's a good place to be because Jesus says, I will resource you. If you feel ill-equipped to do it, that's perfect because Jesus says, I've got something special for you. Look at verse 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. What's he talking about? I'm going to send you what has been promised. Stay here until you receive it. What is he talking about here? Well, we find out about it in the, the next book. Luke writes this book, then he writes another one called Acts, the Acts of the Disciples or Apostles. And, and what we find out is God sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on these individuals, and now these ordinary fishermen become people who change the world. They get power from on high. The mission demands that we need more resources. If you're going to go to your place of work or you're going to go into the community and you're going to be a representative of Christ, you need something more than yourself. You need the power of God. And Jesus says, I'll gladly give you that. You can have power from on high and you can do life then on mission. Well, as we wrap up here and I'll invite the, the band to come back up. But what we found is that Jesus deals with us gently. He knows the condition of our hearts and he cares for us. He's not annoyed by us. He's not put off by us. He's patient with us. He offers evidence of himself that he is risen and he is alive and he is well. He extends an invitation to us to receive forgiveness for sins. And he, he invites us to make that news known. He enlists us to join us in his mission of telling people the good news of the gospel. So two main things then today. You have an offer of salvation. If you want to go to heaven, you can. Jesus says, here's how. Claim him. And secondly, you have an invitation to give your life to, to the most important thing ever, 
Commit your life to doing life with God on mission. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking right now that by your Spirit, you would help each and every one of us to recognize the significance of the resurrection. Help us to believe that forgiveness can be ours today. Help us to believe that not only do you love us and forgive us, but you also invite us into significant work. What a privilege. Lord, help us to do that well for your glory. Amen.